Welcome to the podcast, Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. I'm your host, Mike Allen. This week, we're going to focus on a true Connecticut original. And I'm going to go out on a limb and bet that most of you have no idea the role Connecticut played in the manufacturing of bells. Now, as you're going to hear quite literally, one town in Connecticut, Belltown, has led the entire country in the making of bells, and that's, of course, led to countless old sayings such as clear as a bell, hell's bells, and a bunch more we're going to cover in the episode. Our guest is C.C. Bevan, Chief Operating Officer of the last bell manufacturing company in the entire United States, and that firm carries her family's name, the Bevan Bell Company of East Hampton, or Belltown. She'll be along in just a moment. The question this week in our trivia quiz is, what great first in Connecticut was started by Franklin Doolittle 100 years ago? We'll have the answer for you after the program, and it's also going to be a clue to the subject of our next episode. Now, who put the bells in Belltown, Connecticut? Well, if after hearing this podcast today, you remember only one thing, I'm going to bet it's a pretty good chance that it'll be the fact that there are a mind-boggling, staggering, in fact, number of varieties of bells. Yes, bells, those things we ring. Now, I hope you're also going to remember from this the fact that Connecticut put bells on the map in the United States and continues to do so around the world. And all of this came out of a town that calls itself Belltown. It's East Hampton, Connecticut. That's where Cece Bevan is Chief Operating Officer of Bevan Bells. It's a family enterprise. It has quite a history itself. Now, she runs the company with her cousin, Matt Bevan. One of just many amazing facts, the Bevan Bell Company in East Hampton only has 25 employees, but they crank out 500,000 bells every year. And in case you're wondering or not quick at doing the math, that's 20,000 bells per employee per year. Pretty amazing. Well, get ready to learn more than you ever realized was possible to know about bells. In the ancient days, we had gongs that people would swing a big mallet at it and hit a gong. You know, archaeologists, you always hear about them digging up forks and plates and knives, but I don't hear about them digging up bells. So I'm wondering, what do we know about the earliest bells in civilization? Well, the earliest bells probably came from China. They dated back thousands of years BC. So they have really been around. They have dug up different styles of bells and seen sort of the evolution of how bells changed in shape and as you said from gongs to round bells having clappers inside them bells that kind of self-strike and bells that hang solidly and you have to strike it yourself lots of variations over time but yes it's very very old now if you look at connecticut we have the hat city in danbury the silver city in meriden the brass city in waterbury and i guess that means you'd have to call east hampton the bell city how did it happen that all the bells ended up being made in East Hampton? Well, actually, the, we do call ourselves Bell Town in East Hampton. In fact, there are bells on every street sign. Our high school mascot are the bell ringers. So we are very much a town centered around bell making. And I think, you know, as with many things like this, it did start out with a, with a family. William Barton was one of the first bell makers in town. 
I'm supposing it's just because that's where he lived and that's why he started the company there. And then he taught my ancestors how to make bells and then they opened their own company, which became Bevan Brothers Bell Companies. Then from there, there were probably at one point as many as 20 or more bell manufacturers in East Hampton. Now, if I have my history right, you're the last company that's making bells, not only from what I understand in East Hampton, but in the entire United States. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. There are some other people who we will say make specialty or little specialty bell people. They might make a certain kind of sleigh bell as an artisan kind of thing or that type of thing. But we are the only real full bell manufacturer still in existence today. And we're talking, again, if I have it right, you must be coming up on your 200 year anniversary pretty soon. Yeah, correct. We were founded in 1832. So technically we're at 191 years this year. So uh, we're looking forward to the 200th. And, and just for the record, how many generations back do you go? I am sixth generation. So it was my third great grandfather that was one of the four founding brothers of the company. Wow. Now let's shift gears for just a second and talk about why bells even exist. And there's some obvious ones that come to mind. They're a great communication device. They're safety. They help us you know, stay on time. From your perspective, why do you think bells have such an important role in our civilization? Well, I think in the early days, for sure, it was a form of communication. There was a lot of lore that went around bells in terms of warding off evil spirits and and keeping you safe and providing good karma. And people would hang bells at the front of their house for that purpose. Also, while bells in churches were rang because they were beautiful and because it might alert other people in the town to things, it was also as a way to do those same things in the very beginning, so to keep everyone safe inside. Then it evolved to, on our earliest days at Bevan Brothers, sleigh bells were absolutely a massive piece of our business because they're keeping sleighs, which are very silent, or wagons that aren't making much noise, alerting people to their presence and their arrival. So it was a a safety mechanism in addition to just being a beautiful sound. And then you have, of course, cows that are uh, out in fields and sometimes free ranging. And so bells were hung on them to keep them uh, safe and so that you could find them at the end of the week or the month or the summer where they had wandered to. Today, the bells uh, serve a much different purpose because we don't need them so much for safety, although we do have a bell that is sold into every mine in the world because they need that as a form of non-electronic safety. So when all other systems fail, they have a manual way to ring people out of the mine in times of trouble. We certainly do still have some of them for that purpose, but now it's, you know, we sell them for cheering at events, for hanging on Christmas trees, for little kids doing train rides and getting a sleigh bell as a gift and people wearing them on mountain bikes and pets uh, out hiking to ward off bears and that kind of thing. So just a multitude of uses, but the evolution of the bell has been pretty tremendous over its lifespan. Yeah, you know, when we first uh, talked and I was, I played a little game where I tried to write down as many different types of bells as I could think of. And I remembered when I was a kid on my bicycle, I had the thumb operated bell. And when I started putting all this together with alarm clocks and grandfather clocks and the triangle bell out west for saying, you know, it's time to eat and you would ring that and uh, bellhop bells. And, and then my favorite one was uh, 
you know, an angel gets their wings in the movie It's a Wonderful Life when the bell rings. So to me, bells are just really a huge, huge part of our culture. It's so true. And it's very funny because when I first say to people, you know, at the proverbial cocktail party, I make bells. And there's this long moment of silence where they look at me as though maybe they didn't hear what I said. And they look at me and they say, you mean like bells in churches? And I say, well, you know, we don't make bells for churches anymore, but they can't initially think of all of the ways that bells appear in their life. And then I start to go on like you just did. And I talk about the fact that you got the sleigh bells and the patio bells that people ring for people to come in from dinner and bells that you know teachers use in the classroom and bells at the deli counter and all of those different kinds of things. And then people are like, oh, I get it. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot. I'm going to go out on a limb here and not to put you on the spot, but I'm wondering I'm assuming you've probably been at some point in your life to Philadelphia and seen the Liberty Bell with the big crack in it. And I'm just wondering, from C.C. Bevan's perspective as a bell maker, and you look at the Liberty Bell with that crack in it, what's going through your mind in terms of what did they do wrong? Well, you know, it's funny. It can happen, right? We can have that happen to us even today now. You know, it's you're taking a very hard material and you're forming it into a shape. And there can be some structural element to that that's not as strong as others. It doesn't happen to us very often. And typically it will happen right at the very beginning of making a bell. It would be rare anymore for that to sort of happen later on. But, you know, I realized they didn't have it perfect back then and still an art as much as it's a science. And let's get into that now. Let's drill down a little bit. And this is where I think you have some examples in terms of actual bells that you can ring for us. I'm just going to put my phone on mute and listen to you give us a little instruction about the different types of bells that there are and how they're made and what the difference is between a square and a round in terms of the sound. And and you have actual examples. So please, I'm just going to turn the platform over to you and Cece, instruct us on bells. Okay, that sounds great. Well, back in the early days, bells were made by melting metal and pouring it into a mold, actually casting a bell. That's a very slow process. Today, we stamp our bells and we stamp them out of either brass or steel. Those make a very different sound. Most of our bells are in several different shapes. They're either fairly square, like you might picture a cowbell, or they might be round like a tea bell. Here's an example of first a cowbell and then an almost identical size bell that is round that we call a T-bell, also made out of steel. So you can hear the difference between those two bells, and that's strictly about shape. It's the same exact material, almost the same size. One is square, one is round. Then if you think about the difference between steel and brass, I have, again, that same bell I just rang that's a steel bell, and a similar size bell made out of brass. So you can hear there's quite a tremendous difference in those bells. So the shape of the bell matters. The size of the bell obviously matters. Here's a small brass hand bell. And then here's a larger one. So the size in that makes a tremendous difference. We also, when you think about cowbells, there's not just a standard cowbell. We make two different kinds of cowbells. We make what we call our long-distance cowbell, which is what 
most people are familiar with looking at on actual cows. They can be heard from far away, and that's why they're called long distance. And we also make what's called a Kentucky cowbell. Kentucky bell is made in three different parts. So you've got two sides that are welded together and a third handle welded onto it. It's a much more complicated construction. But at the end of the day, they're both cowbells and they sound completely different from each other. So I'm going to ring a long distance cowbell first and then I will ring the Kentucky cowbell and you can hear the difference. So you can hear it's a much sort of deeper sound on the Kentucky cowbell, and that's kind of what people think of when they think of the Swiss cowbell. We also have, of course, the category of sleigh bells, which are, you know, a beautiful sound, and everyone is used to that. And that's a little round ball that's moving around inside the sleigh bell, so it's making a lot more ringing sound than just a clapper hitting the side of the bell. And then we have a very large sleigh bell that we make. Again, very different sound because it's so much bigger. I have people that come into my trade show booths and they sit and they listen and they play every single bell and they just are obsessed with the different tones. We don't tune any of our bells like people might think of in a bell choir when people might be playing different notes. I like to talk about the tone of a bell versus the tune of a bell because that's really the group that we participate in. Well, I know you couldn't see me over the uh, telephone here, but I had a grin from ear to ear as I was listening to that. That was just fabulous, Cece. And I also have to say, it got me thinking and, and kind of leads me into my next question as well. With books, my wife is a librarian, and there's always the discussion in the Allen household about reading a physical book versus an ebook. And I know that there are now, for instance, on our telephones, you know, ringtones that are electronic now in nature. And I know some churches have gone to electronic bells, but there's nothing that substitutes for a good old-fashioned regular bell. Thank you for saying that. I could not agree more. There's, you know, so many things. If you think back uh, historically, you know, we made all of the bells that went inside every washing machine and dishwasher and cash register. Those were all actual bells that rang. And those were, you know, we made all of those kinds of bells. A doorbell, you know, was actually a thing that you turned on the door and, and made the sound that way. And the electronics bells have, you know, really replaced a lot of those in many situations. Uh, we created the bell that was on the Good Humor ice cream trucks. And we have a bell that we call our ice cream bell. And we still sell that all over the world for food trucks and little, you know, the bicycles that people ride in South America with the food thing on the back of the bike. And all of that is a very big business for us. One thing that I didn't get to, I don't know if you know that it was actually our bell in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. So when the bell rings at the end of the movie and Clarence gets his wings, that's a Bevan bell on the tree. It's just kind of one of our claims. We have several claims to fame like that. The Saturday Night Live skit, you know, I need more cowbell. That was a Bevan Bell. And the New York Stock Exchange, that was a Bevan Bell. Most of Muhammad Ali's fights, those were Bevan Bells. But as far as the quality of the sound and the emotion that it evokes and the joy that it brings, there's absolutely no question that an electronic bell can never accomplish what a real bell does. Do the Bevans host anything that approximates a bell museum or is there some place where there's an assortment of bells that people could come and visit and look at? Well, sadly for us, in 2012, our entire factory burned to the ground and we lost absolutely everything. 
it was, you know, only through a series of a few fortunate events that we were able to come back from that fire. So we lost all of our historical bells, all of our historical documents, photographs, catalogs, everything that was our history. The good news is that right before the fire, we had lent out some bells to uh, the Essex Steam Train in Connecticut for a little display they wanted to do. We did get those back from Essex kindly, and we also had given a number of bells over the years to the Chatham Historical Society, and they have a fascinating display at their building in East Hampton of all of the bells, and not just from Bevan, but from you know all of the manufacturers over time. And so the Chatham Historical Society also has a wonderful display of all of the children's wooden toys that feature bells. My grin has been replaced by a sad frown hearing that story about the fire, and I didn't know that was going to lead into that. I, I'm so sorry to hear that uh, about that, but I'm glad at least something uh, was able to be salvaged. I wouldn't know what store to go to to buy a bell. Are they at Walmart? Are they at Target? I mean, who, who carries bells? It's funny that you ask that because people do find it sometimes hard to find bells. Obviously, online these days is always a terrific way, but gift shops are a huge customer for us. General stores, hardware stores are all big customers for us. We do market globally, but most of our global sales are more wholesale. So like I said, we sell to mining companies all over the world. But the bulk of our business for somebody to go into a store and buy it all happens here in the U.S. We would be remiss not to bring into this episode the greatest part about Bells, which would be all of the good old sayings that have come around because of Bells. Things like they had their bell rung by, uh, say, a football hit or something like that, or it has a certain ring to it, or are you going to answer the bell, which is, of course goes back to the, uh, you know, a boxing match or you're going to be able to make it into the 15th round. And maybe my favorite, which is the, the famous novel For Whom the Bell Tolls. What, what kind of uh, old sayings do you hear beyond those? And I, I'm thinking you must have the largest assortment of anybody. As a matter of general language, I always say, oh, it doesn't ring a bell with me and I don't really mean relate to our business, but I feel like you hit a lot of them. I don't know if I've got any other really great ones. We just continue to try to find new and better uses for bells and new ways to sell them and new ways to keep them relevant to people's lives and looking at things like weddings and bike races and marathons and all of the things that are part of people's lives today and, and making bells a part of those celebrations. We're quite bullish on the bell. up this episode of Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. I don't know about you, but next time I see It's a Wonderful Life, all I'm going to be able to think about is if Bevan Bells made that bell at the end when the angel gets their wings. I want to thank our guest for today's program, C.C. Bevan, Chief Operating Officer of the Bevan Bell Company, especially for bringing along her bell selection and ringing them for us. Now, the answer to this week's trivia question... The question was, what great first in Connecticut was started by Franklin Doolittle 100 years ago? Well, Franklin Doolittle started a company whose initials were DRC, the Doolittle Radio Corporation. 
1922, AM radio station WDRC in Hartford went on the air for the first time. Next week, we're going to take a journey down the radio waves that have crisscrossed Connecticut ever since. Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path is a production of True North Associates, LLC. This is Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy. Stay healthy.